everyone, and welcome to um, a time with your favorite co-host. It's been a long day, so if I'm a little bit off right now, that's probably what it is. But welcome to A Perspectives uh, with your host. I am Martina, and this is the lovely... Lissette. Yes, um, and thank you all for being here today, whether you're listening via Spotify or uh, iTunes, or if you're watching us on YouTube, or if you're doing both of those things. We thank you for being here today. Um, and we are very excited. We have a great guest with us. Uh, we have a wonderful female pastor uh, who has been in ministry for, for uh, quite some time. Um, and we wanted to have her on because we wanted to get into the topic of faith and ministry and specifically around, around women, uh, women leaders who are, who are doing this work. Um, and before we get into talking with Pastor Gabby, I'll kick it over to Lisette to add anything in. Yeah, I think this is actually, I think, our first uh, conversation with uh, a woman who is in faith, who's a faith leader. Uh, so we we are fortunate to have uh, Pastor Gabby with us, and I'll and I'll turn it over to her shortly to share a little bit about who she is, what she does. Uh, but, you know, as Martina mentioned, you know, this is something that we've been talking about doing and wanting to have uh, because, you know, we both are, are spiritual individuals, you know, grew up in church. Um, we've shared a little bit on our podcast, a little bit of some of uh, that upbringing and what impact that has had. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that we've I've always kind of talked about or even just, you know, personally with friends and things is about sometimes how hard it can be to be a, a woman in church, especially if you're wanting to to be a, a leader and and kind of you know be a pastor and, and speak and, and have sermons and things like that. Uh, so I'm glad that we're having this conversation, not just about talking about the barriers, but also like what is happening in in the church today like what is happening what is changing uh what what is going on with women in church and like how it's becoming definitely a space more open to it at least from some of the things I've seen and some of the spaces I've been uh so I'm excited to have this first conversation uh, of what I'm sure will be many to come uh but as I had mentioned we have our guest today who is Pastor Gabby uh she uh we had a chance to connect with her prior to recording uh and we are excited to hear uh for you all to hear about her journey what she's passionate about and just really what she has to say about uh being uh, a church leader and being especially in today's you know day and age of, of where we're at uh as far as faith in, in this country and where you know women fall into that so I'm excited to have uh, her share a little bit about that. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Pastor Gabby, you know, give you a chance to introduce yourself. Tell us you know, who you are, uh, where you're at, because you're not in Chicago, like yeah. Martina and are at. Uh, so you can let us know a little bit about that. And then we'll kind of get into the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. First of all, thank you all for having me, Lizette Martina. It's just a joy to be with you. Um, shout out to everybody who listens to the podcast. Um, it's really great to be with you all as well. Um, as they mentioned, no, I am not based in Chicago, though Chicago is one of my favorite cities, um, especially in the summertime. I love Chicago. I was there <laughs> last month for some events. Matter of fact, I kicked off my book tour in Chicago last month. That's how much I love Chicago. Oh, yeah. Um, 
So, but I am based in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm a New York City girl. I've been living in New York for over 15 years. Um, and so even though it is not my place of, of origin, although funny enough, I was born in Queens. So I, I can't say it's not my place of birth because it is. Yeah. But I spent my, my, uh, my adolescence um, in the South. My family moved to Texas when I was very young. So um, shout out to Dallas. That's where I'm from. Um, I feel like wherever you went to high school with, that's where you're from. Because people always want to know those kinds of questions. So you know, shout, out to, shout out to my hometown of Dallas. Um, my mother still lives there. But I have been living in New York, spent first 12 of my 15 years in Harlem. And um, I've been in, in Brooklyn for about three and a half years now. And I am a pastor. Uh, as uh, Lizette and Martina mentioned, I am a pastor. I am currently a founding pastor of a church that I started and prior to that, I was on staff um, at a pretty large church in New York as a young adult pastor. And so I'm a lead pastor now. Um, and it's just great to be with you all. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I, I guess like just to kick off our conversation, uh, what brought you to ministry? Was it something you always knew you were going to go into? Was it a family kind of thing? Uh because I know most people that become pastors usually have uh, family members who are in the ministry. So I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have two answers to that question. The first is, yes, uh, my mother is actually a minister. However, that's not what brought me to the ministry. So um, it allowed ministry to not feel foreign to me because I grew up um, as, as the daughter of a minister. However, um, I actually didn't see myself uh, going down that pathway. Um, so what brought me to ministry is really interesting. I kind of had a, an interesting journey into ministry. I have always been passionate about music. And from a younger age, I was always really intrigued by gospel music. And so I, you know, I'm in my 30s. So um, at the turn of the century in the year 2000, sounds like forever ago, but in the year 2000, <laughs> I was 15 years old. And this is when like Mary Mary, Kirk Franklin, Yolanda Adams, Ty Tribbett, all of them were like new. Out of all of them, Kirk was the oldest of them. And even with him, he was like six or seven years into um, his career. Um, and so there was just this movement of younger uh, gospel music artists who were getting played on like R&B and hip hop stations um who were definitely gospel intentionally but they were like selling out stadiums and just showing up um you know wearing like clothing that didn't feel like church clothing which just felt like you know stuff for the culture and they were just kind of you know very very present I remember like Mary Mary had like a their first song Shackles was on like MTV like some commercial for MTV or whatever so so I came of age kind of in that era so I quickly decided that I wanted to work in gospel music with those kinds of artists and I wanted to just kind of keep getting their music out there because I was so moved by it so in college I worked at the radio station for three years our campus radio station I was it's gospel music, gospel morning show host uh it was very fun and in that role I basically met all the gospel acts that would come through Hampton Virginia I went to Hampton University so by the time I was a senior in college I knew I wanted to work in the music industry so I literally only applied to one graduate school which stressed my family out because it was like that or bust <laughs> But I was very, a very determined 21 year old. I was like, I'm going to get in. It's going to be great. Everybody calm down. Um, so I applied to NYU 
And they had a master's in music business program, which is a very small program, which made it even more selective. They take like 30 students a year. I, I was far more bold than I realized, you know, as, as when you get older and look back and be like, wow, that was a risk. That was a risk. We're glad it worked out. <laughs> but, um, you know, it worked out. So I went straight from Hampton to New York. That's how I got to New York. I've been here ever since. And so um, I really saw my career as a publicist as ministry. I, I really did because I basically um, felt that I was spreading, you know, the gospel and the good news through music, through entertainment, um, through that lane. I, I did a lot of work with like BT and other places, Viacom. Sorry if y'all can hear that. I'm in New York, so you might hear the sounds of the city. Uh, this it's all right. We're in Chicago. Okay, cool. Right. So, on my window so a little. You, listen, you understand me. Okay, what's understood, don't need to be explained. Exactly, perfect. So, um, so I was doing that work. And while I was doing that work, funny enough, um, I actually was looking for a church home. But because of my career, um, a lot of my um, weekdays and weekends were taken up with gigs. But there was a church in Queens that had a young adult Bible study on Friday nights. And ironically, Friday night was like the one night that I didn't have gigs or didn't have things that I had to be at. So I started attending that just as a lay person. And very quickly, word got out what I did professionally um, because the church was a church that was known for their own music ministry. And a lot of the folks that sang at that church also sang back up for some of the artists that I was working with. So very quickly, people kind of knew what work I was about. Um, which turned into me like being like a lay volunteer, which is basically an unordained volunteer um, with the young adult ministry uh, because, you know, they, they were throwing events and, you know, just needed some support. And it was my lane and it all worked out. And I did that for five years. And then after five years of doing that, the person in the seat actually got moved to another church. And so by this point, um, they're about to fill the new seat. And instead of hiring externally, which they could have, there was a lot of demand for the role. Uh, my pastors decided to hire internally. So um, I ended up getting hired and my husband ended up getting hired as a co-young adult pastoral model, which they had never done before. Uh, and I hadn't even been licensed to preach yet. Um, that would come later, but it was very like different. It's a different way of moving. Um, and it was very instant. Uh, because this church was at such a high level of just kind of who was watching the church and, and the work that was being done that I was really thrown into a role that most people would probably get, you know, midway through their ministry. I started at a very high level. Um, and so, you know, the rest is history. I got licensed, went to divinity school, the whole nine. Um, but really, I, I think it's fascinating. But, you know, my pulpit call really grew out of just like the ministerial call that I felt vocationally as a lay person and just being very present and being very committed. Um, ultimately, you know, God did show me a call to the pulpit, but, you know, I say that to say like whatever work that you do for God, like regardless of whether it's in the pulpit or not, like do it to the highest level and you never know where that is going to take you. Uh, go ahead, Martina. Okay. I, I had a more, uh, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more like going from Hampton, Virginia into New York City, because I'm a person that came from a small town in Mississippi and ended up in Chicago. Um, and I just wonder, how was that for you coming from kind of this little small town into, into this big city? And I think you kind of knew what your mission was, but then of course you found it over time. How was that? I mean, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, I'm not from Hampton, I'm from Dallas. So, exactly. you know, I went to college in Hampton, but it really was not that big of a shift, to be honest. Um, I think that, you know, cities 
larger and smaller, they kind of have a similar like pulse and, and, and energy behind them. Um, so I found my rhythm very quickly. I adjusted really quickly to New York. So it wasn't that bad for me. Lucette, go ahead, your question. No, I think one of the things that uh, struck me was when you struck me was when you said, um, you know, my ministry calling, you know, I found it, you know, thought it was music, right? And I think people forget sometimes that, like you mentioned, like whatever you do for God, like you can do it in so many different ways. Like ministry isn't just, being a pastor, being in the pulpit, like ministry is so many different things. I just, I just wanted to comment on that because it's something that I think a lot of uh, people in church, whether you're young or older, always confuse that, you know, your ministry can be baking, right? Like your ministry be cooking, like, and all these different things. And, and sometimes you, you kind of get a little, uh, maybe just like feeling stuck or something because you're like oh man what am I what am I supposed to be doing and you're already doing it and you just don't realize it because you're the church has really led into this thing like unless you're you know you're leading or you're in the pulpit or you're in some kind of like leadership position in the church you're not really doing ministries I just wanted it just something that struck me when you were talking yep absolutely I mean that first half of my career was ministry Mm -hmm. it just was in the pulpit Mm mm-hmm so when you think about like getting to the pulpit, like what was that journey? Like, I know you said, was it going from just being a uh, like youth pastor and then just transitioning it to being a pastor? How did that transition happen for you? Um, the transition into, uh, can you give me that question again? Yeah. The transition from like being leading like youth and being like, it sounds like a youth pastor then to becoming, you know, a pastor of a church, you know, and like founding a church and like, uh, you know, kind of doing that. Was that just natural? It just kind of happened over time or was it intentional? Um, so I should clarify. So I was a young adult pastor, uh, oh, okay. which means I had folks between the ages of 21 to 39. So gotcha. um, I was serving at a mega church and this demographic made up a large portion of that church. So that work, um, was pastoral. There, there really was nothing pastorally required of me at that level that isn't required of me now, now that I'm in the senior seat. The difference is the senior pastors hired me. And of course I'm serving their vision, but I have capacity to create vision for those that I serve because it was a good model. Um, but at the end of the day, they are the senior pastors. And so, you know, the buck starts stops with them right so um i would say the shift from being on staff as a pastor to being um a lead pastor um it was a shift more so in what's required of me by god because my responsibility is now for a larger demographic of folks but the work itself is really quite similar um but the, the, the responsibility of who I am responsible for and who I am training and who I am leading and who I am pastoring, um, yeah, that certainly takes on another level. It would be like with any other field. If you move into, let's say you were vice president and then you become president, well, a lot of those mechanics are going to be similar, yeah. but the level of visibility, the level of if stuff goes wrong, it goes to you first. If stuff goes right, it goes to you first, right? And I would say that that's a very similar parallel um, to moving from 
a staff pastoral model to a senior or lead pastoral model, depending on what language people use. And yeah, that was um, that was a big shift um, in just allowing myself to grow in that way. Um, any anybody that steps into a more senior lead seat than what they had previously, you have to give yourself you have to give yourself space to grow. Um, give yourself space to sometimes feel overwhelmed, sometimes not know exactly what the right call is, but to know that you've been placed in that position for a reason um, and to not let that that fear or that concern about getting everything right keep you from doing what you need to do. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely um, and still is, you know, I'm about to be four years into this church that we started in November. Um, it, November makes four years and I'm still, you know, very much always um, talking to colleagues and, and mentors who've been pastoring for 50 years. I'm, I'm sure enough going to ask them some questions and try to learn from their wisdom um, and so on. Martiana, we got anything? I have a few questions. I think I was trying to formulate them really. And just listening, listening to you, Pastor Gabby, uh, you, you appear and seem to be very personable and someone that I could see people turn into in a time just to want to talk to. And so when you were beginning your journey up until now, I'm just interested to know, you know, have, have others come to you for, for mentorship, come to you for advice about wanting to get into ministry in particular, you know, have those been women or have those been women of color or, you know, maybe they're younger women or older women. It really doesn't matter. I think, I, I think when people get that get that feeling that this is right for them, it can happen anytime. So just interested in that and yeah. how you have handled those uh, different situations. Yeah, uh, great question. So um, 2023 marks 10 years in pulpit ministry for me. And in those 10 years, I think I've probably walked with or mentored at least 12 to 15 folks um, who are now in the ministry, which is a very humbling thing. And that doesn't happen all the time. Um, I think that God has gifted me with the, the ability to see a ministerial call in other people mm-hmm. and to walk with them. Um, to your question about, you know, gender and race, um, they've all been Black folks, um, but they've been a majority women. There are some men in that count, but they've been majority women. And one of the things I'm most proud about in my church that I started with my husband, Double Love Experience Church in Brooklyn, uh, we have a ministerial fellowship program where we have uh, literally we've trained five ministerial fellows and we're, we have two right now. Out of those seven, six of them are women. Mm. Um, and that was not intentionally, mm-hmm. let's just train women. It was like, let's train the best candidates. And that's just how it fell. And it has been such a beautiful experience to watch each of them find their voice and um, really empower and embolden themselves to show up fully um, behind the pulpit. And so, yeah, we've got, I have two fellows right now that are with me. One is a student at Union Seminary in New York. The other is a student at Yale Divinity School, my alma mater. And they're brilliant. And it's just, it's it's so refreshing to be able to guide people who are accepting their call younger 
and who are ready to do this pastoral work and who are black women and finding their space. Uh, one of my fellows said she, she had never seen a black woman pastor until she got to her senior year of college. And she's now in her first year, no, going into her second year of seminary. She's 24 years old. Um, and there's so many stories like that. So I, I, I love those moments. Um, it's something that was kind of naturally baked in for me because I'm the daughter of a minister, but I also saw the issues that my mother faced in ministry. So even though I'm a daughter of a minister and I understand how ministry can be, be uh, impactful for women, I've also seen the, the struggles. And so I'm able to bring both of those things to the table when I'm trying to guide um, younger clergy. I think it's really important what you just said and all that, because for me, I grew up in uh, Southern Baptist in Mississippi and in that pulpit, it was primarily black men. Um, I cannot remember the first time I actually started to know that there were women out there who were pastors. It's just something I didn't see growing up in the South, especially it. Yeah, just being in the quote unquote black church in the South, you saw black women um, maybe cooking or doing Bible study choir rehearsal, but when it came to the preaching and the ministry, that was men. And so I agree with that, oh, oh, with the young lady that you saw, I was probably into my early 20s as well when I finally was like, they have black, I mean, they have, A, they have black women that are pastors, we got women that are pastors. And it was really mind blowing because, you know, most of the time, again, for me, it's just something I didn't see. And yeah. so I think now, you know, hopefully it seems to be with you and the, and the individuals that you're helping to mentor and that they will begin to mentor as well. We, we're seeing a change in the tides. Yeah. Likely. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, um, I don't know how closely you all may follow T.D. Jakes' ministry, but he had a powerful moment at his last Women Hour at Loose conference where he, on the pulpit, said that he was kind of passing the baton to his daughter. And while some people would say, oh, of course, that makes sense. She's a pastor. You have to recognize the revolutionary moment that's happening, um, because a lot of times when Black male clergy pass on um, anything uh, to their children, if it goes to a woman, it's usually because they don't have any male sons. Jakes has two daughters and two sons, biological. He has a ton of spiritual sons, people who, you know, um, he has trained in the ministry. And so, you know, sometimes we, we can't get so familiar with, you know, what we've seen that we forget about its significance. It is significant to verbally say I'm passing to you um, what I have to give you as you are the next person to take us further. And you happen to be a, how old is she? 33, something like that, um, young woman pastor. So, you know, those moments are happening more frequently and more publicly, and they're really important. And, and my hope is that they will normalize things for generations behind us. So the same way in 2008, we'd never seen a black president. And now kids who are coming up now, they know of the Obamas, they know of Kamala Harris, they know of Katanji Brown, like they're gonna have other battles to face, but at least there's some normative visibility at the Supreme Court level, at the VP level, at the presidential level, that younger kids would be like, what do you mean black folks can't be president? Like. That already happened, right? So that's my hope with women in ministry. Like there's a lot of, you know, things that we've got to move forward in, of course, but there's some things that have been happening in the past five or 10 years and that will continue to happen that are hopefully breaking down some of the stereotypes and making some things normative about women in the pulpit for younger generations that I hope it's a different 
conversation, a different battle that has to be faced than what has been, you know, the ongoing saga of I'm X, I'm X years old and never seen a woman passed, right? Which is a much more common, um, you know, experience than not for a lot of people. Go ahead, Lisa. I, I could ask another one, but I've asked two back to back. I think I just want to comment to what, you know, has been said. So I think I, just like I think uh, a lot of women who grew up in, in churches, uh, like I grew up in church, you know, was a church kid uh, and still am a church person, but it was probably until after college where I realized like, oh, women are leading you know, churches, they are, you know, preaching and there are, they are pastors are called pastors or not, you know, something else or just, you know, on a, on a Christmas service, they're going to like preach or like on a mother's day kind of thing, uh, doing that. So I think to your point, pastor Gabby, of just making it the norm just across the church. Cause I think even if you look at whether, you know, you're, evangelical church or baptist church there's this very male dominated uh kind of picture that you see of who is leading uh, a lot of these churches um and you know women are just kind of are starting to be sprinkled in and you're starting to see you know things kind of change and to your point like these young women who are now are like oh i can actually follow my callings i think a lot of times some women probably never followed their calling and they had so many great things to share and wisdom and just words of God because they were there was a barrier there and to hear now like you know you're you're seeing women you know not even intentionally just women coming through because of the space that you've made and sort of the environment that you've created as as pastors because I think you and your husband are, are co-lead pastors we are yes I, remember, I went to your website. I did a little Thank you. I love a little research. I love a little research. I was like, I wanted to learn a little bit more about your church. I love it. Um, so I was like, you know, and to hear you speak about it, just the, the space that you're creating. And like you said, like, if you create it, you know, if you're, if you're intentional of creating these spaces, people, whether of all races, sexes, will feel comfortable and will feel able to like follow their calling and be in in their ministries it's just you know I don't have a question I just wanted to comment on that because it just it just makes me happy as someone who uh grew up in church not seeing that often enough and really seeing the um negative impact of what you know a male dominated you know infrastructure really does to a church like, I was like, oh, man, like, women should be out there because they have a different, you know, just different things. So to just see it, I just had a comment on that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lisette, uh, you brought it up. So I want to continue uh, to know a little bit. I mean, you know, we've uh, looked you up, of course, but I would love for our uh, viewers and listeners to uh, get some backstory on you and your husband because you both you both do this together. You both, you both tag teams. I would love to kind of hear a little bit more, you know, how did you meet? I think, I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, how you met, uh, but love to know a little bit more uh, of that, of that story. And, you know, how did you both get to this moment? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my husband's name is Andrew Wilkes, Reverend Andrew Wilkes. Um, And Andrew and I went to Hampton together. That's where we met. 
uh, started dating there. Um, when I came to grad school in New York, uh, he went directly into seminary um, at Princeton Seminary. So if you know the New York area, Princeton and New York, New York City and Princeton, New Jersey are about an hour and a half by train. Um, so we did, you know, we did those three years. I don't know if you can call it long distance because real long distance people really get on. They be like, y'all were in long distance. You can get on the train. I, don't, I so I don't know. I want to start no problems. I want to start no problems. But it was long distance for us. That's long distance to me. I'm like, you know, you find it. You know, We had to be intentional. But yeah, you have to be intentional. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Put some respect on our commute. That's what I tell people. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so we were, um, yeah, we were in grad school at the same time, um, still dating. And then we got married after grad school, um, which is interesting because I think that for generations before us, that timeline is pretty normative. But for our generation, it was kind of like people felt like it was a little early that we got married because we got married. I was two weeks away from being 25. So I was 24 mm -hmm. years old. Um, and so we've been married now 12 years. And um, uh, in, in the beginning of our marriage, I was a publicist. So, I mean, that was like my, my how I made money. That, that was my work. Um, and so, and he was um, a minister, but he also is a public policy um, uh, aficionado. So he mm -hmm. went right into a public affairs fellowship after seminary. Mm -hmm and um, did some work at, you know, some high levels. And so he kind of blends, you know, faith and policy, faith and public policy. And so he was doing, you know, a little bit of that work. And so um, it wasn't until 2013, when we were hired at the church I was speaking about earlier, that we began doing ministry together. So um, we got together in 2005. So, you know, I tell people that even though this phase of our journey has us in a similar career, which is wonderful, I, I love working with my husband. Um, it's not like when we got together, that was a plan or a goal or even thought of, right? And I think people should be careful about trying to like pre-imagine like what your future is going to look like with your person. Like just think about compatibility first and, you know, are you all going to end up on the same pathway later? Maybe, maybe not, right? I have a lot of girlfriends who are pastors whose husbands are not in the ministry at all, and it works, you know? So I just want to say that, that like, because we now do ministry together, it kind of looks like it was this grandiose plan, and it was not, <laughs> it really was not. Um, but, you know, um, since 2013, we've been serving together um, in pastoral ministry, and it's been great. Um, we just wrote a book together, and, you know, we, do, we in our church, um, we preach together once a month and then we rotate the other months, uh, the other week, excuse me, who's preaching. So we don't preach together all the time, um, but it is something that we do. Um, and uh, it, it's something that's still new to some people, tag team preaching. Um, but we enjoy that, you know, when we get a chance to do that. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a good journey. That sounds fascinating. I did not know that he was a public policy. Uh, yeah, he's literally person. finishing his uh, his PhD in political science right now. So he's been an executive director of a nonprofit before. He's worked in a mayor's office before. Awesome. Done all that good stuff. So most to him. Uh, he might need to come on eventually here too because he's okay. That's, that's he's, what I was thinking. I know he's doing. Yeah, both of y'all are out here just really. I'm sure he would be happy too. I'm sure he'll be happy too. Yeah. So, you know, touching on that about, you know, you, you being in ministry with your husband um, and it wasn't intentional that, you know, that you met him way back when, and now you, you know, ended up being this together, you know, how has it been 
to me, it seems like, you know, if everything is not going according to plan, you have a shoulder to, to cry on or to lean on because he gets it, you know, but I'm sure there are times that he may not always get it or you may not always get it with him. So how, how has that um, relationship been for you all in terms of the ministry? Yeah, I, I think that um, doing ministry together as a married couple is tough because you have to realize that everyone has a different paradigm for what they think marriage looks like and should be. And people like to project that on married couples. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the paradigm, you both said that it wasn't until your 20s that you saw a woman in ministry, right? So the paradigm that people most understand for married couples in the church is pastor and first lady. So that is not the paradigm that we use. Um, And yet I get where it comes from when that's people's first inclination, right? Mm -hmm. So um, being married in ministry, um, you know, it has, its, it has its positives because we have each other and that's a beautiful thing, um, but it also has its challenges and differentiation, right? Like we are two very different individuals who are formed very differently. Um, who approach the work of ministry very differently. Um, and now that, you know, that, that those differences complement each other. So we show up well together, um, but we're not the same person. We're not interchangeable. You don't swap one wilts for the other or, you know, and so all of these ways in which um, people understand um, couples show up in a very interesting way when you start dealing with clergy couples, right? Um, And so what Andrew and I, you know, go to great pains to do is to really make clear to people what our expectations are, how we show up, how we engage one another, how we expect to be engaged. We're always making that clear. And, you know, some people get it and it works. Others are committed to another kind of narrative and for people who are committed to another kind of narrative that, that they need to be true, those aren't our people. Yeah, we ain't for that. And, and we just, you know, God bless you, and we keep we keep going. Um, because church can be a very gendered space where like the men are here and the women are here, and um, it it can get a little bit toxic at times. And so you we have to always kind of do our due diligence about what spaces we're going into, um, and you know if if they don't align with 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 how we show up um you know we make different decisions so that makes the ministry dimension of our marriage complicated um but what i will say the positive about uh being married and being in ministry together is um yes we do you know really understand one another um we have to kind of turn it off when we get home otherwise you'll always be talking about work um it's kind of like you know people have kids and the kids go off to college and they have nothing to talk about with each other because you know they've only been talking about their kids for the past 20 years um you know same thing with the church the church becomes you know like a child and 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 something you have to feed and nurture and grow and be on call and be responsive to um and if you're not careful a lot of clergy couples get very um work centered in a way that they don't have um, their, their intimacy and their marriage, you know, as a separate thing that they're watering and tending to. And so we, we try to do that 
um, as much as we can. Nobody's perfect at that, but it's also a challenge that comes with, you know, working together, especially with something like the church, because the church is such an intimate part of people's lives. Um, so it, it, it transgresses different boundaries than if we were working together in a different kind of field. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's always a work in progress, always a journey, um, but it's one that we do feel called to. And, um, you know, it makes us proud to present another option of, of what, you know, uh, two married folks who are called, you know, can look like. Very well said, very well said. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I love what you, you talked about, like, you know, kind of making sure that you have your space, right? Like you kind of separate the, what you do at church and kind of your home life is, this is us too. Cause I think, I mean, I'm not married, but I hear a lot of other people <laughs> who are in either friend circles or just, you know, people that are older who, who do struggle with sort of like, well, what do we talk about now? Yeah. Or, you know, cause we, we, you weren't intentional about creating this other space and you hear a lot about it and definitely uh, within the church, right? Especially those that are, are, are leading and, and having that where, you know, you see either very publicly what can happen or, you know, if you're in a small church, you know, you kind of hear and see. So to kind of see you all give like, here's what two people who, who love God, who are called to ministry are doing. But also, yeah, I mean, I'm sure y'all give some counseling and you kind of provide some of that too. And yeah. just either by, by example, like to say like, you know, there, there are ways to, to be your own individual self yes. and, and, and be that and keep that. And, and still be able to do what you're supposed to do. So just, I, I love what you just said uh, all around because as someone who may someday be married, you know, I always seek the advice and sort of wisdom of those that are. So definitely uh, taking that that nugget and just kind of putting it in my subconscious for if I ever happen to get married in the future. So that nice. helps others nice. enjoy that too. Yes. Well, I think I think we're kind of uh, wrapping up this first episode with Pastor Gabby, uh, which has been already amazing. And I'm yes. super excited to do part two where we kind of dig in a little bit more into maybe a little bit more about your church and what your church does. Like I, I read the your vision and everything. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is this yes. is some radical words in here. Yes. You don't see a lot of, you know, churches putting uh, things out there like that. Um, uh, but I'd love to hear about that. We're definitely digging into more of women in ministry and, and sort of what you have seen. We, you touched a little bit on it, so I'm excited to hear uh, a little bit. But Martiano, are there any, any final thoughts from your end? No, just really, again, thank you for coming on, Pastor Gabby, and everyone sit tight. Um, we'll be back. I know you're viewing this a week apart, um, but come back for part two, because part one is already awesome, just like Lisette just said. I mean, I've learned some things, and you are really good at giving advice, and so <laughs> I can just see it, like, listening to you. I feel like I'm, I'm just taking in stuff myself, kind of, you know, the of the same as Lisette, just, you know, just thinking about a lot of things. And so we will continue this wonderful conversation. Um, and that's all I got for now. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us, for listening in. Uh, make sure you're following us, whether it's Facebook or Instagram 
or you're subscribed to YouTube so you get alerted uh, when Pastor Gabby's next episode is out. So make sure you do that. Uh, thank you all again, and we will see and talk to you next time.